Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. And, you know, I've been hammering the Nebraska football content lately. And so I'm going to put some football chatter aside for today and talk some Creighton basketball. That's kind of what's on tap for today's pod. But if you've missed any of my Nebraska football podcasts, they're all on the podcast feed. And I've hit on a bunch of stuff. Like, I've hit on, okay, I have some thoughts on Trev Alberts and Scott Frost and kind of the mystery metrics for Frost and his uh, hot seat season and how to get his original contract reinstated and and all that is layered into that. I have my three most important Husker football players that don't get talked about enough. I ranked Nebraska's schedule next year from the easiest opponent to the hardest opponent. I discussed uh, the ESPN college football quarterback tier rankings for how they see Nebraska's quarterback situation compared to Adrian Martinez. I've unpacked some juicy anonymous Big Ten opposing coaches quote on Nebraska football. Bo Rude joined me to discuss a whole bunch of things with Nebraska next year. I wrote down my five most important transfers next year for Nebraska. Like on and on and on and on. All that stuff, all of it and more. I didn't even necessarily touch on everything I've hit on over the last month or so. All that is on the podcast feed. So if you have missed any of it, you need to go check it out. Just go to the podcast feed. While, the, while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave it a five-star rating and a review while you're, while you're doing your thing. But uh, So if you missed any of it, go check it out. But today, we are veering out of the Nebraska football lane, and we are going into the Creighton basketball lane. So let's get into it. Uh, you know, I do feel like with Creighton, I feel like I've had to I got to pace myself with Creighton talk and Kool-Aid chugging and all that stuff. Like, we still got a long ways to go before next season. But, man, for Creighton to have the season that it that it had and then be in the, in the day and age of transfers and player players moving left and right and, and not a lot of continuity with rosters, to not lose anyone to the transfer portal is pretty amazing. It really is. And then on top of all of that, to pick up one of the best transfers to hit the portal who fits you perfectly and happens to be from Nebraska, talking about Baylor Shireman, wow. Plus, plus, Creighton picked up another transfer who fits a need and has power conference experience in Francisco Farabella. It's just, it's amazing. This offseason basically couldn't have gone better for Creighton. Like when I was when I was put down the headset in Fort Worth after uh, Creighton lost to Kansas in the second round of the NCAA tournament, certainly everybody felt like, boy, next season could be pretty special. But you never know what happens with roster movement, transfers, whatever, right? 
to me, from that moment till now, things could could not have gone better for Creighton in terms of retaining everybody and who they've picked up and added to the roster. I mean, Creighton brings back all their core guys, excluding obviously Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell, who graduated, but they bring back all their core core dudes, all of them: Kalkbrenner, Kaluma, Trey Alexander, Ryan Emhard, Roddy, Sharif Mitchell, all back. And then you add to it two guys who fit the system perfectly and fit a need as well. Baylor Shireman and Francisco Farabello, not to mention, obviously, Jason Green, Ben Schotzenberg, the, the kid from, from California, the guard. Like, just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how everything has, has kind of transpired for the Creighton Blue Jays throughout the course of the last couple of months in this offseason. And that's that's obviously led to some lofty expectations, the bar getting set extremely high for the Blue Jays next year. In basically every single outlet's preseason top 25, Creighton is in everybody's top 10, and you've even seen some top five rankings for Creighton next year, which in my opinion is warranted. It's earned, it's accurate, and it makes sense. Now, obviously, it doesn't guarantee anything, but on paper, given what Creighton did last year, finished fourth in the Big East regular season conference standings, made it to the Big East tournament championship game, lost to Villanova, won an NCAA tournament game, beating San Diego State in overtime, and then pushing the eventual national champs, one-seeded Kansas, to the brink, had the ball down one with a minute left. And then, obviously, considering they bring their core back, they're going to add one of the best transfers on the market. Yeah, the preseason top 10, the preseason top five love makes sense to me. Which shapes up for such an exciting year. And one, you know, one of the things that is so exciting about next year is just how everything has lined up. Where you, you have this great team and you have this great schedule in the non-con. I mean, Creighton's, again, you're talking about a preseason top 10, top 5 team, and Creighton's non-conference slate is as challenging and, and as tough as anybody's. It's amazing. So they're heading to Maui over Thanksgiving. Listen to the field in Maui. Arizona, Arkansas, Ohio State, Louisville, Texas Tech, San Diego State, Cincinnati, and then, of course, Creighton. I mean, Wow. And then on top of that, Creighton plays at Texas, Big East, Big 12 showdown, play Arizona State and BYU on a neutral site in Vegas. They're going to play Nebraska at home. They're probably going to have another Big Ten opponent in the Gavitt games. And then who knows how the rest of the non-con roster gets, gets filled out or non-con schedule gets filled out. But th that's a really, really challenging non-conference slate. They're going to be challenged in a major way, but with the team they have, they're they're going to be more than up for that challenge. And here's the thing that's in, that's exciting about it: you know, you answer the bell in the non-con. I mean, Creighton goes out and performs well in this non-con. You're really putting yourself in position for an extremely high seed. And I know we're getting, we're already getting to March next year and Selection Sunday all that stuff, but like. With the team that Creighton has, where they're going to be viewed initially, who the the non-conference schedule. I mean, you they go perform well. You're in line for a one or a two seed. That's that's pretty exciting stuff. But even in the midst of all the 
Kool-Aid chugging and all the excitement, Creighton does have some questions heading into next year. Obviously, I could write down more than four, but I sat down and I wrote down, okay, what are the four biggest questions for Creighton right now heading into next season? So here we go, four biggest questions. Again, there's more than four, but four biggest questions, even for a team that on paper is loaded and is it's totally legit for them to be a preseason top 10 team. Four biggest questions. Number one, handling expectations. I've talked about this a ton already, but it's still one of the bi- biggest burning questions because it is an enormous, enormous shift from last year to this year in that regard. How will Creighton how will Creighton handle the target on their back? How will Creighton handle being the hunted after being the hunter? They are going to get pretty much everybody's best shot. And I've always talked about this. It's one thing to do something when nobody expects you to do it. It's totally different to do something when everyone expects you to do it. Last year, nobody expected very much from Creighton at all. They didn't even know what to expect. I mean, again, it was a it was a roster full of freshmen and a Division II transfer. No expectations. This year, completely different. And I, I've used this example, but if even looking at last year, if Creighton struggles and barely beats the cream puffs on their on their non-con schedule like they did last year, the narrative and the discussion surrounding the team after those games com- is completely different this year compared to last year. If Creighton has to grind to beat SIU Edwardsville, beat a, have a last-second shot to beat Southern Illinois, has to grind to beat Kennesaw State at home, has to grind to beat Arkansas Pine Bluff at home, if that happens with this team this year, they're going to drop in the rankings and people will question what's wrong with them. I think the I think the Creighton team two years ago dealt with this dynamic a little bit. Remember after after Creighton won the Big East regular season crown, they and brought every pretty much everyone back except Tyson Alexander, but they brought Zegarowski back, Mitch Ballock back. They brought Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop, Denzel Denzel Mahoney. Winning wasn't enough for that group the next year. It was how they won that also mattered. So this Creighton team will deal with that now. Extremely different dynamic. Handling expectations, handling the big target on their back, totally different deal for them. They're not going to creep up and catch anybody by surprise. Like when when last year when Creighton hammered Nova, remember when Creighton hammered Nova by 20 in December? I'm not saying Villanova looked past Creighton, necessarily, but whoever's coming to Creighton in this December, they're, they're going to be locked in fully. So extremely different dynamic. That's one of the, the that's an interesting question. The Nick Bob podcast is powered by my good friends at Runza. You know, a few things make me more proud than the fact that Runza supports my podcast because as a Nebraskan, 
I've been a Runza fan my entire life. I lived down the street from a Runza growing up. was a blast to go there as a kid. Sometimes I'd even ride my bike there with my buddies. I vividly remember one of our very first elementary school field trips was to Runza. Everyone loved it. I remember going to Runza in high school for lunches with all my high school friends. And I've told you guys this, one of the happiest days at Kansas my freshman year was discovering a Runza in Lawrence, Kansas. It was like finding a little slice of home when I was away from home. And now as an adult, it's great to share runs with my kiddos who absolutely love the deliciousness of Runza. It's a little Runza story from yours truly. And you know what the menu is. Just outstanding, amazing Runza sandwiches. Oh my gosh, a piping hot cheese Runza? Mmm, that sounds good right now. Incredible burgers. The best fries on the planet. The salads are great, especially the Southwest chicken salad, my personal favorite. It's just awesome food. So whether it's lunch, dinner, a little snack, doesn't matter. Runza is the spot. You need to go download the mobile app. It's in the app store. You can order ahead, skip the line, plus you can earn rewards as well. Runza Makes it all better. The second question, it kind of goes along these lines, leadership. I could argue that Ryan Hawkins' void will be felt on the intangible leadership side of things just as much as the on-court production side of things, which is saying a lot because Ryan Hawkins, in my opinion, probably should have been a first-team all-conference guy. He was really good last year. But Ryan Hawkins was the unquestioned leader of the team. Greg McDermott raved about him. You go, you go grab Greg McDermott and and ask him to talk about Ryan Hawkins' leadership. That guy will will light up and basically just straight up tell you, don't no way Creighton has the season they had last year without that guy. And, you know, if you've ever watched huddles in games or a practice or any sort of interaction between the team, Ryan Hawkins was the guy. He was the guy talking to everybody individually, collectively. The young guys leaned on Hawkins big time. And on top of even the vocal leadership, he was also an everyday guy, meaning every single day at practice he brought it. Every day. The focus, the energy, the talk, the positivity, all of that stuff. Which, which brings other guys up on days that they are dragging. That's why it's important. Like I, Energy is a skill, and, and consistency is a skill. Because the, certain guys just aren't built like that, but you got to have certain guys in your locker room that can lift up those dudes. And so all of a sudden, that voice, that presence, that daily, everyday guy is gone. Who steps up in that spot? And with all these expectations on the team, to me it matters even more. And the hard part is, you know, you look at a, a lot of the guys on the team and their personalities. You know, Ryan Emhart's kind of a quieter guy. He's not, not the most vocal guy in the world, a little more quiet. Sharif Mitchell didn't play last year, and it can be kind of hard to lead when you're not the guy. Kalkbrenner's a little a little more quiet. Alexander and Kaluma aren't necessarily natural just leaders in in what you would kind of look at on paper. So who's it going to be? Who's going to fill that leadership void? Can Baylor Shireman, 
the South Dakota State South Dakota State transfer come in and be that guy, which is tough because you know it's always challenging when you're coming into a locker room that already kind of has a pseudo established kind of chemistry and 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 camaraderie. They've already kind of been through wars together, right? That that can be challenging. I'm sure Baylor Shireman doesn't want to step on anyone's toes when he first gets rolling. That's a that's a challenging thing. I remember dealing with that a little bit. Now, granted, I was redshirting, so it didn't really matter as much because I wasn't uh, going to be able to play and lead. But I've always viewed myself as a leader in any locker room I was in. But when I transferred into Creighton, you know, there, there's an element of like asserting yourself, but also paying your dues and like putting your head down and, and earning the respect of your teammates before you start talking, you know? That's what made the Ryan Hawkins thing so much easier for him to be the leader right away because the roster had nobody coming back pretty much. It was everybody was new at the same time. So it made sense for the oldest guy and the experienced guy to just rise above and Hawkins and lead. It's not like that this year. But so it's a difficult dynamic that Baylor Shireman's going to have to kind of walk a little bit. But to me, Baylor Shireman in some ways kind of has to be the guy. He's a senior, he's been through the wars, he's a winner, he's older. He, he's probably got to step up in that regard because a team without a leader is a team that won't maximize, in, in my opinion. Again, this is where Hawkins was just so valuable, so important, and his departure is going to be felt big time. Again, I'm not, notice I'm not even talking about, like, I could also put one of the burning questions just replacing his tangible production on the floor. There's a lot of things that Hawkins did on the floor that's going to be really, really challenging without him being out there. But to me, I'm, I'm going to go to the intangible stuff of just like the everyday leadership stuff. That leadership department is something I'm going to be watching closely. And what's challenging for the coaching staff is like, you got to, that's something that has to organically happen. You can't just, Coach McDermott can't walk in the locker room and say, guys, here, real quick, just want to tell everybody, uh, this is this is okay. Baylor Shireman, you are officially the leader. Okay, everybody understand that. So Baylor Shireman, you're the leader. Lead. Like it doesn't work like that. It's got to organically happen. Somebody's got to step up. People got to rally around that guy. So again, my guess is it'll be Baylor Shireman, but we'll see. We'll we'll see. Big big question for this team. The third burning question for Creighton next year. What does the ball handling look like? And let me unpack that because I'm, I'm not, nece- not necessarily in terms of turnovers, although that could be a, a burning question and a key given how much Creighton turned the ball over last year. But I'm more speaking, when I talk about the ball handling, I'm speaking from the standpoint of a lot of mouths to feed one ball. A lot of guys need, deserve, want the ball. There's one ball. Can this Creighton team buy into this mantra that I kind of wrote down? Share, sacrifice, trust. Share, sacrifice, trust. For this team, with so many weapons, can they share the ball? Can they all sacrifice a little bit? And can you trust that everyone is unselfish and the ball is going to find you? 
if if this team if they do all that, they're going to be able to maximize as a group. Let me kind of unpack this a little bit more. Think about this for a second. Ryan Nemhard was the primary ball handler when he was on the floor. He was top five in the Big East in minutes before he got hurt. He was on the floor all the time, had the ball in his hands the whole game. He is the most natural point guard on this roster. Can Nemhard learn to, to do more with maybe having the ball a little less? Trey Alexander, if you think about it, in a lot of ways, Trey Alexander was unlocked and went up a level when he took over at that point guard spot and had the ball in his hands a lot. Once Nemhard got injured, Trey Alexander stepped in. All of a sudden, he was the point guard. He went up a level, and all of a sudden, he became this budding superstar to the tune of like when the game was on the line against San Diego State in overtime, it was Trey Alexander getting busy, getting the and one, making a play. Can can Trey Alexander be that Trey Alexander we saw at the end of the season last year with Nemhart on the floor with him and him not being the primary ball handler? Where he's going to have to be a secondary ball handler. You think about Baylor Shireman. Baylor Shireman needs the ball. He's an elite playmaker that's got elite instincts and vision and passing. And he is an excellent passer, and his vision is great. Like, he can really score it, and he can really shoot it, and he can really create. Shireman is used to having the ball in his hands. He had the ball in his hands a lot last year at South Dakota State. How does he get acclimated to maybe having it a little less? Arthur Kaluma needs driving ISO creating opportunities. I mean, the bottom line is sometimes Creighton just needs to get the ball to Kaluma and get the hell out of his way and let him get busy. He needs the ball. Ryan Kalkbrenner even emerged as a viable post-up threat where he needs touches. Plus... Sharif Mitchell is back. He is a point guard who can be a playmaker. Don't poo-poo Sharif. Sharif got to the point where, honestly, in some ways they were – they two years ago, Sharif got to where he was playing his best basketball down the stretch and needed to be on the floor alongside Zegarowski as another ball handler creator. I mean, th- that dude was on the floor in the Gonzaga game against Suggs and Kispert and A.I.E., and Drew Timmy, like, you can poo-poo Sharif Mitchell if you want. That guy's a good player, and he was injured all last year. But he's another guy that if he's on the floor, now, ultimately, Sharif Mitchell's calling card is on the defensive end of the floor, just an unbelievable on-ball, ball-hawking dude, but he needs the ball. You got a lot of guys who need the ball, deserve the ball, can score, can pass, can create, which is great. But nevertheless, to maximize that, there has to be a collective effort to share the ball for everyone to probably sacrifice a little bit and definitely trust that the ball will find them 
and they're they're going to get theirs. They're going to get their touches. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Last year was totally different. Ryan Nemhard was the only point guard for most of the year because Trey Alexander was still trying to find his way. Sharif Mitchell was hurt and he was out. Alex O'Connell was a catch-and-shoot guy or a move-the-ball guy. Kalkbrenner didn't handle it. Kaluma and Trey were finding their way for most of the year until they kind of hit it late. This year is different. Again, Trey Alexander emerged in a big way last year. Ryan Arthur Kaluma was big time by the end of the season and needs touches. You check NBA mock drafts, guess who's the highest guy on these NBA mock drafts for next year? It's Arthur Kaluma. Ryan Nemhard is the biggest freshman of the year for crying out loud. He needs the ball. And Baylor Shireman is Creighton's best player who's also the oldest and has the best combination of passing and scoring as a, as a player on the team. So Coach McDermott and that staff has to balance all of those things. Now, I'll say this. The good thing is Creighton's system naturally does this to a certain extent. It's not a system that is centered around just one player and four other guys stand and watch. It's not ISO heavy. It's a ball movement, player movement, share the ball system. So again, this system should somewhat take care of some of this stuff. But at the same time, it doesn't just take care of itself. The players still have to buy in, share it, sacrifice, and trust each other. And the coaches have to preach and teach all this stuff every day. And with the with the players buying in thing, I want to stick with that for a second. I have absolutely no reason to believe otherwise, but Pat Riley has a saying in basketball called the disease of me. Meaning... When a, when a team or a player tastes success, do they succumb to the disease of me and get consumed with thinking about themselves and want, I need the ball, I want more shots, I should be this, I should be that, me, me, me. More touches, more points, more notoriety, more, notoriety, more shine. I don't think any of the guys on Creighton's roster have any of that. So I, this could be me you know, borrowing trouble and creating something. But you just hope, you just hope that Baylor Shireman isn't coming to Creighton thinking, man, I'm coming here, I'm going to ball out, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to get to the league, period. 
you hope Trey Alexander isn't thinking, man, I was a star at the end of the year. I was the guy in the NCAA tournament. Me. The offense should center around me. I need the ball more. I'm about to show everyone what I can do and who the best player is. You hope Arthur Kaluma isn't thinking NBA, NBA, NBA. I need to show everyone that I'm an NBA guy. I need points and shots, period. Ryan Nemhard, same thing, on and on and on and on and on. Again, I don't think this will be the case. But that disease of me thing is real, and it has derailed a lot of teams and a lot of players. I think it's just, it's different because last year, I think it was every, when you're a freshman and you're walking into a situation, I think all those guys didn't know what to expect. They kind of just put their head down, went to work, didn't didn't necessarily think about anything other than just doing what the coaches tell them to, told them to do. This year, it's different. So there's just a lot to balance with all of this talent, both from the coaching, the coach's standpoint and from the player's standpoint as well. Lots of unselfishness has to permeate. Lots of sacrifice and trust has to be overflowing. And they all have to buy into the idea that team success breeds individual success. The way... They get what they all want individually is by winning big collectively. Period. Certainly something that I'm going to be monitoring closely and how all that looks. Last burning question. Three-point shooting, oddly enough, still remains a question for me. And I know that sounds and feels weird because of how Creighton has been branded and what they've done over the last 10, 20 years where they've been known as kind of the three-point shooting program. I mean, again, their their mantra is let it fly. Now, that is kind of a play on words of Blue Jays and flying down the floor and playing fast, but a lot of it is let it fly, meaning like let it fly from three. They're usually a not a good, a great three-point shooting team with great shooters, and the three ball is a huge part of their offense. And while it still is a big part of the offense and the system, this group didn't shoot it great last year. The core group last year, three hundred they were they ranked three hundred and fifth in the country in three-point percentage. And Creighton loses their two best three-point shooters, both in makes and percentage, in Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell. Think about that now. This team shot, they ranked 305th in the country in three-point percentage, and they're losing their two best three-point shooters. So a pretty bad three-point shooting team losing their top two shooters is a little concerning. The returning core of Kaluma, Nemhard, and Trey Alexander didn't shoot it great from three. Now, I think they're all capable and I think they're I think they're better shooters than their percentage would indicate. But at the same time, I've always been one of those guys like there does hit a point in your sample size where you know the whole Bill Parcells thing. You are what your record says you are. There does hit a point where you're you are the shooter your percentage says you are. But this is where the additions in the transfer portal could be enormous. Baylor Shireman and Francisco Farabello can both shoot it. Shireman shot 47% from three last year. Farabello shot 38% from three last year. So those two guys are going to be relied on heavily to make shots and spread the floor. 
But nevertheless, the three-point shot is the way Creighton attacks on offense. The three ball is a big, big part of their identity. So three-point shooting is another question for me heading into next season. Got to find some guys that can make some shots. Absolutely has to happen. So despite all those very real questions, I couldn't be more excited to watch this team play next year. Again, I I, I think... Here's the thing. I think they're going to figure all those things out that I threw out there. I think they're going to figure out the leadership thing. I think they're going to be able to manage the expectations. I think they're going to be able to – I think the system and the way a lot of those guys are built in the locker room, they're going to be able to share, sacrifice, and trust each other and figure out where everybody can eat at the table. And I don't think they're going to be a great three-point shooting team, but I think they're going to they'll, – they'll figure that element out of it. But nevertheless, they, they do have to figure all those things out. I mean, again, I'm, I'm thinking they will, but they got to figure all that stuff out. But man, you look at Nemhard, Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, Baylor Shireman, Ryan Kalkbrenner, that's a really, really good starting five. Hoop season can't get here fast enough, man. But in the meantime, Creighton does have some work to do. And my guess is there's balls bouncing in that gym as we speak, working towards a potentially magical season in Omaha. A Huda Media Production.